0: Next Sunday morning, 9.30 930 a.m., both for the live stream and here in person, 9.30 a.m. next Sunday morning. So if you come in partway through the song service, we'll know you forgot. So um, 9.30 next Sunday morning. Now I have another question. Um, How many people at some time or another in their lives have invited someone to come over to their house for dinner? Please raise your hand. Okay, I see most of you have. I'm glad to see that because hospitality is an important Christian virtue. It gives us the opportunity both to be edified by those that we have invited over and uh, to edify them. and. Um, I apologize that it can be a somewhat painful topic now during the course of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, that especially now in our recent Christmas celebrations, many of us were not able to gather with some of the loved ones we would have liked to gather with because of the pandemic. But uh, we do look forward to the day uh, when um, we have the freedom to do that without concern again. But the reason I'm mentioning that this morning is... um, hospitality and uh, preaching have some things in common, and uh, one of the things that they have in common is preparing for them is messy. And so um, as you're inviting guests over for dinner and you're in your kitchen, maybe you have some rice boiling on the stove and you turn your head away for a minute and and the rice boils over and uh, this... uh, the liquid tends to evaporate fairly quickly once it gets down on the top of the stove. And so you've got this white film around the pot, and then as it gets closer to the burner, you have a brown film, and a little closer to the burner, you have a black film. And and uh, then maybe you're making some cookies, and, and flour starts flying, especially if you have kids or grandchildren helping. And uh, you get a little bit of flour spread around the kitchen, and, and maybe you're carving the meat, and you accidentally splash a little bit of grease outside of the area where you're carving. And, and so uh, you, you've prepared this meal, but the kitchen's kind of a mess. And so the guests are coming over, and so you quick try to clean up the kitchen so that the kitchen looks halfway decent when the guests arrive so that, um, you know, they can enjoy the meal and not see the mess that the preparation of the meal made. And uh, sermon preparation is a lot like that. And so you might have, uh, you know, these random Greek and Hebrew words that are flying around and some of them are out of context and they land on the counter. And and, um, yeah, some half-baked ideas and they don't really come along very well. And um, yeah, Uh, rabbit trails. Okay, let's try to leave those. And so, you know, you kind of try to neaten things up a little bit before everybody arrives Sunday morning so that uh, you can have a a neat and coherent and and nice-looking presentation. But uh, this week, I kind of decided to invite everybody into the kitchen and take a little bit of a peek of a little bit of what sermon preparation is like. And the reason I decided to do that is I'm hoping that all of you on a regular basis are opening up the scripture and reading it for yourself. And I'm hoping that as you get a little bit of a look of what sermon preparation is like, that might help you as you're reading through the Bible and uh, trying to figure out, okay, how can I take God's word? And correctly apply it to my life, and uh, so put on your aprons and, and let's start cooking this morning, and uh, let's begin by opening in our Bibles to Luke chapter two, verse forty one to fifty two. So Luke chapter two, verses forty one to fifty two. And if you would be kind enough, if you're able to stand, I'd like to read this passage in your hearing. Luke 2, beginning in verse 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, that he would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that he would give us insight into your word and what you want to say to us this morning. I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thing we need to be aware of as we're approaching this passage is that this passage is a narrative. And um, I might use the word story because it's a more commonly used word, but the problem with the word story is a story can be either true or not true. In fact, we use the word story probably more often of things that are not true. You know, we talk about storybooks and we're assuming that every story in the storybook is, is fiction. And uh, we're not dealing with fiction here this morning. We're uh, dealing with a true historical account of what happened. And so this is a narrative. It's an account of what happened. It's set out in order. The difficulty as we are approaching narrative is that we have a tendency to jump to conclusions as we read narratives. Um, For example, we can think of um, Jacob in the Old Testament. And as we read the narrative about Jacob in the Old Testament, we see that Jacob had four wives. And so we could quickly jump to the conclusion, every man should have four wives. Uh, Because, you know, right there it is in the Bible, Jacob had four wives. Or we can uh, go to the story, uh, the narrative about King Saul. And we can see that King Saul was wounded in battle, and so he fell upon his own sword and he killed himself. And so we could jump to the conclusion that, hey, the Bible says suicide is a good thing if you're in enough pain. And, uh, you know, we can quick jump to conclusions and we can draw the wrong conclusions as we're looking at narrative. And so um, the way that uh, one of my professors in college expressed it is narrative is not normative. Uh, That means that everything that you read about as happening in the Bible doesn't mean that it's a good thing that you're supposed to imitate. And so, uh, we need to be aware of that as we're approaching narrative. And so, if any of you men go home this afternoon and tell your wives that Pastor Tom said that you should have four wives, I wash my hands of it. I take no responsibility for what happens to you. It is on your own head. So, as we're approaching narrative then, we have two main questions that we want to be asking. And the first question is, what about this story made the human author of this narrative want to include it in his account for his original readers? And the secondary question is, why out of everything the Holy Spirit could have inspired to include in Scripture, did he choose to inspire the human author to include this in the Bible? Uh, for our benefit as well. What does the Holy Spirit want to say to us through this narrative? And with that in mind, we can start out and we can wrestle with verse 42. And so as we come to Luke chapter 2, I'll read verse 41 just so we can get the whole thing. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. How many of you have ever been 12 years old? Okay, I see that many of you have. Um, How many of you remember being 12 years old? Okay, I see many of you do. I've spent a significant portion of my life trying to forget being 12 years old. I have not yet succeeded because... 12 years old, the year I was 12 years old seemed like the longest 20 years of my life. Um, it was awful. Um, there was a gang of bullies at school, and they were dedicating the year that I was 12 years old to trying to make my life miserable. And so, uh, they would come up behind me and they would flick my ears or they'd come up behind me and they'd hit me in the back of the head or they'd come up next to me and they'd knee me in the side of the leg or, or in the back of the knee to try to make me fall. And, um, but the physical part wasn't the worst. The worst part was what they did with their words. And so they would stand around and, and uh, you know, they would ask hostile questions. And then if I answered them, they'd make fun of the answers. And, and they just made my life miserable all year long. And so, you know, as you're approaching a narrative, um, there's a tendency to take your own experience and interpret the narrative Uh, in the light of your own experience. And so I'm reading about Jesus being 12 years old, and uh, my initial reaction is, I wonder if the boys in Nazareth were mean to Jesus. Um, You know, how did they treat Jesus when he was 12 years old? We know that he was despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And did that start already back when he was 12 years old? Or is that something that just came later on? in his life and so i kind of wrestled with that question for a while the answer i came to is i don't know the author of scripture uh, luke as he's writing to his readers he does not say the holy spirit as he was inspiring luke to write this he did not inspire luke to say and so i have to say that um there's a half-baked idea you know i i have no idea Uh, whether or not the boys in Nazareth were mean to Jesus. And so we can just leave that laying on the counter and clean it up later, and uh, that's something we don't take along into the message. Well then, um, as I think about 12 years old, it was also a time of incredible spiritual growth in my life because um, I had grown up in the church. I had heard the gospel from the time I was a small child, And uh, up to the time, I was 12 years old, you know. Um, I believed the things that the Bible said because my parents believed the things the Bible said. My pastor believed the things the Bible said. My Sunday school teacher believed the things the Bible said. And so I believed the things that the Bible said. But when I got to be 12 years old, I noticed, hey, you know, I, I see these nature shows on TV, and, and they talk about how, you know, everything started out with a big bang uh, all by itself, and, and then the earth gradually evolved over millions and millions of years, and, and uh, uh, you know, we're all kind of coming from nowhere and going nowhere, and, and uh, I began thinking, well, you know, are my parents right, or are these things that I see on TV right? I mean, what, what really is the truth here? And I, and I gave the matter a lot of thought, and, and um, after a while I came to a conclusion, and I decided that the explanation that was given by the Bible uh, was more coherent and meaningful than uh, the explanation that I was receiving on the nature shows. And so when I was 12 years old, then uh, my faith in Jesus Christ took a significant step upward because it was no longer, I believe in Jesus Christ because I've heard about him from others that I trust, but I believe in Jesus Christ because I have struggled this year with a significant spiritual question, and um, I have sought him in prayer. As I've been struggling with this question, and I feel like He has answered me and given me the ability to figure out uh, the truth about this matter. And so my relationship with Jesus Christ deepened in a significant way when I was 12 years old. And um, so I wonder, you know, is is that what Lucas? kind of getting at when he's telling us about Jesus being 12 years old. Because, you know, uh, the Jewish boy, when he turns 13 years old, he has his bar mitzvah. It's a major step in his spiritual journey. And so, uh, is Luke telling us that Jesus Christ, as he reaches 12 years old, um, is growing in his awareness of who he is and the mission that God has for him? And has he uh, is he making some significant spiritual decisions in his life as a 12-year-old. And um, that's something maybe we can put on the back burner and let simmer for a while. Uh, Not time to sweep that one away yet. We'll, We'll just keep thinking about that for a little while. Well, then let's look at verses 43 to 45. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. How many of you are parents? Okay, true confession time. How many of you have ever misplaced a child? Okay, my hand's up. I see some of you aren't admitting it. Yes, I have misplaced a child. Um, So one year, uh, Christy and I were at a missionary enrichment conference with the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And we were standing in line for lunch, and we were talking with people around us. And every once in a while, I was doing a head count to make sure that everybody was where they were supposed to be. And one time, I turned around to make the head count, and someone was not where they were supposed to be. That person will remain nameless. Um, But anyway, this this person was missing, and uh, it was a terrible feeling. And uh, we, you know, did a quick search of the immediate area, and this person was still missing. And we did a search of a larger area, and this person was still missing. And uh, panic is growing in two parents' hearts. And um, we recruit a large number of missionaries to spread out through the forests and fields surrounding the area where we are in search of our missing child. And another large group of missionaries is praying that we'll be able to find the missing child. And finally, after what seemed like a hundred years, but was only 45 minutes or so, the missing child was located. And so, as um, I come to this account of Mary and Joseph having the experience of a missing child, my heart goes out to them three days of not knowing where their child was. Imagine how they felt. It must have been a terrible feeling for them. But then as we think about it, the temptation springs up. Well, you know, maybe maybe we need to beat up a little bit on Joseph and Mary because they traveled the whole day without having any idea where Jesus was. What kind of negligent parents were they anyway? And, uh, you know, is that what Luke is trying to say to us? Poor Jesus, he was raised by negligent parents. And, uh, and so think about that a little bit and... Uh, think, well, wait, um, Jesus was 12. When I misplaced my child, that child was a preschooler, I would have been less panicky after 45 minutes if that child had been 12 years old. Though, depending on what your child is like, maybe you'd be more panicky after 45 minutes if you have a 12-year-old rather than a preschooler. It depends on the child. Um, But in any case... Um, Jesus is 12 years old, and as we think about what life was like in ancient Israel, a 12 year old was expected to be much more responsible than uh, we tend to associate with 12 year olds in our modern society. So you can think a little bit about um, King David before he was King David. He was a shepherd boy, and he was out on his own in a field somewhere watching over the family fortune because those sheep, they are very, very valuable. And they are entrusted to his care and he's responsible for them. And he is so responsible for them that he kills a lion and he kills a bear that come along and try to steal sheep out of the flock. Well, he's still a young man. Or we can think about uh, Joseph, not Joseph and Mary, but Joseph, uh, son of Jacob, in the Old Testament. And uh, His brothers are out tending the sheep, and they are more than a day's journey away from home, and his father Jacob has no problem saying to him, hey, Joseph, you go out and check on how your brothers are doing. He can, you know, wander a day away to find out where his brothers are, and then hopefully wander back to give a report. And so he was trusted with a great deal of responsibility as a young man. And so, you know, is the lesson we're supposed to draw with this that, um, we coddle our children too much as 21st century Americans, you know, that we're not raising our kids to be responsible, uh, that, uh, you know, we should be training them to take responsibility and be able to be counted on when they're younger. And uh, you can say, well, yeah, you know, we we do have some people who are adults who have not yet learned to live responsible lives. And so maybe as uh, 21st century Americans, uh, we, we are failing to train up our children to be responsible adults. But um, I don't think that was what Luke was shooting at, and um, I don't really think that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. And so there's another half-baked idea that we can leave on the counter and uh, not take along and serve. Uh, But then we uh, move along to verses 46 and 47. And it said, Now so it was, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding in answers. And so at 12 years of age, Jesus manifested amazing spiritual insight. And it's easy for us to say, well, duh, he was the son of God. What do you expect? But as you think about the people who were sitting in the temple listening to him, they didn't know he was the son of God. And as you think about Luke's first-century Gentile readers, the reason Luke is writing this book is because he wants them to have the opportunity to get to know Jesus as the Son of God. And so he is presenting them with new information that they may not have had before, that Jesus, as the Son of God, does have unique spiritual insights And that's why we as a church, we want to know Jesus and we want to make him known because of who he is and what he can tell us. And so that's something we can probably keep and serve in our meal later on. Jesus is the son of God. He is the source of unique spiritual insight. He is worth knowing and making known. Well, next, let's take a look at how Joseph and Mary reacted in verse 48. It says So when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. You know, even raising a perfect child can be hard for imperfect parents. Because imperfect parents don't know what to expect out of a perfect child. And so they're having surprises all the time. Keep your finger, by the way, in Luke chapter 2, and turn back to Matthew chapter 13, verses 54 to 56. Because I want to get a little context for what happened here. Matthew chapter 13 verses 54 to 56 says, When he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Mary. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And so Joseph and Mary, after, they, after Mary had Jesus, uh, Joseph and Mary together had a number of other children, at least six, because four brothers are mentioned and the sisters are mentioned in the plural. So they have at least six other kids besides Jesus. And what a terrible shock that must have been. I mean, after you have a perfect child, then you have an ordinary sinner like all the rest of us have. Uh, That must have been quite an adjustment for Joseph and Mary to be parenting a perfect child and then parenting a whole bunch of sinners. Um, The temptation must have been terrible to say, why can't you be more like your brother? And so uh, Joseph and Mary are dealing with this family situation, and that might explain part of the reason why they get a day's journey away from Jerusalem before they notice that Jesus isn't along. Because they're so busy keeping an eye on the sinners, and uh, they figure, well, Jesus, he can take care of himself. And so they get to camp that night and say, uh oh, where is Jesus? And uh, so could explain kind of how the situation all came about. Regardless of how the situation came about, they were very worried. And in 49 and 50, back in Luke chapter 2, we can see how Jesus responds to their concern. It says, And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So at 12, Jesus is aware that he is the Son of God and that he's on a mission on behalf of his Father God. And Jesus also knows that Joseph and Mary should be aware of that because we just saw how the angels came to Joseph and Mary before he was born and the angels told them about who he was and so um, they should know this and the challenge then is to apply the knowledge that they have to the situation at hand and so problem we need to find the son of God where should we look uh, answer: We should look in God's house if we want to find the Son of God. And so Jesus is challenging Joseph and Mary to apply what they know about him to the situation. But as I said, it's difficult to be imperfect parents with a perfect child. And so verse 50 tells us that Joseph and Mary really didn't quite understand what he was trying to say to them. But verse 51, then, tells us that Jesus didn't, as it were, pull rank on Joseph and Mary. It says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Now, Jesus could have rightly said, I am the Lord of the universe, and so I would like you to serve me and fulfill My every whim. But he didn't do this. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so instead of demanding that Joseph and Mary needed to obey him, he obeyed them and followed their directions. And then we come to the most amazing verse in the entire passage. And that's verse 52. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And once again, I'd like you to keep your finger here in Luke, and this time I'd like you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. in Hebrews 4.15 talking about Jesus who is our great high priest it says for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin and so Jesus is remarkable because at the same time, he is the Son of God, God the Son. He is all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful. And at the same time, he's a man. He's not just God in a man costume. He is fully and completely a man he is so fully and completely a man that he experiences all of the limitations and all of the weaknesses that any other man experiences except without sin and so in verse 52 then back in Luke chapter 2 we have god all-wise Becoming a man and growing in wisdom. And it's hard to wrap your mind around that. The eternal Son of God growing in wisdom as he became a man on our behalf. And so as we as human beings struggle in the sin-cursed fallen world that we live in, Jesus fully understands all of our struggles. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, interceding on our behalf. And he can say to God the Father, yes, I understand what it's like for them because I was there. I experienced those things. I understand what they're going through. And so, if you're facing a challenge in your life, you can safely go to Jesus and you can talk to him about the challenge you're facing. And he's not going to say, I don't have any idea what they're talking about. He's going to know exactly what you're talking about because he experienced that type of thing while he was here. And so he's going to be able to intercede On your behalf, not only on the basis of theoretical knowledge, but on the basis of personal experience. He's able to work on your behalf to do what's best for you. So that's kind of the main course from the passage. I uh, hope it's an encouragement. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were hopelessly separated from you, you sent your only begotten Son to be a man on our behalf. To live the perfect life that we could not live. To die the eternal death that we could never complete dying. To rise again to give us new life if we will put our faith in him. Lord, we thank you that he is even now seated at your right hand interceding for us. And Lord, I pray that we would be quick to come to you and to him because of his special insight and knowledge into us and to seek the help and the grace that we need in our time of need. And so, Lord, may we continue to look to you. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for your fellowship this morning. What time is the service next Sunday? 9.30 a.m. Very good. Look forward to seeing you then. May the Lord bless you and give you a, a great week.